0: I'm Rob Vanstone, and welcome to a uh, what we consider to be a timely edition of the Rider Rumblings podcast. I am here, I was going to say bright and early, but I'm not bright, but it is early. I didn't get much sleep last night, so I sound like, <laughs> like a mess, but I'm here uh, with Murray McCormick, who is going to have to save the day. Um, Mur what are your thoughts on... Another interesting weekend, in Ryderville. The off season, I think, has proven to be uh, more interesting than the last few weeks of the regular season uh, were.
1: First, I'd like to point out that I spent a lot of time decorating my office for Christmas, as you can tell over my shoulder, that the room is ready to rock for Christmas. So, Merry it Christmas! Is lovely. To all.
0: It, we've we've got a Charlie Brown Christmas tree. So you're you're absolutely <laughs> lapping us on
1: this one. And, you know, and kind of in the Christmas spirit, the riders seem to be giving us a lot to write about during December, which is kind of traditionally after they make a couple announcements slows down. And and I obviously have to think the announcement of uh, Kelly Jeffrey as the new OC and quarterbacks coach is arguably the biggest news next to the schedule coming out, I guess. And, uh, you know. It's interesting to read some of the comments about, and I've made them too, about Kelly's lack of experience at the CFL coordinator and and that kind of stuff. But, you know, so I'm, I kind of changed my mind a little bit on that. Like, I'm a little tired of the recycling and driving the same old guys to the same job. Why not give a guy who is obviously qualified based on his resume and, and the many, many stops and the many, many things he's done. Give a guy a chance. What's wrong with that anymore? Why can't we take a guy who's literally paid his dues in a long, hard way by leaving his family to come and fill this many jobs across the world, spent time as a running backs coach? I I know I mentioned to you the other day that I thought I met him in the parking lot. Well, turns out I was wrong. It wasn't him. So it's kind of funny that people wonder. We don't really get to know the assistant coaches with the riders these days anymore. And there's not really that interaction because of – of, of time and deadlines and things we're always in a hurry after practice when you might have an interaction but rob don't you think let's give the guy a chance if it's if it stinks well then okay we'll we'll go after him as hard as we can as anybody else can but i i think and i you know and we have a story in today's paper online and in tomorrow's paper of people saying glowing things about him he really sounds like a type of guy i want to get to know and and i'm kind of going on here but he wanted to talk the other day. Like The, the uh, Zoom call was cut off after 30 minutes, but he would have talked for an hour. He's a guy that's willing to discuss what the offense is, his life, his philosophies and stuff. And it was really a, a breath of fresh air to have that kind of elongated talk. And he's kind of like Craig Dickinson a little bit away. He, he wants to talk to the media and he wants to deal with us. Now, come September and things aren't going well, he may not be running out. To meet with the media, everybody's but think,
0: happy to talk when they're hired.
1: Yes, I know, but we, I would see,
0: let's see how happy they are to talk. Uh, we, we've also seen uh, how happy some people are to talk when they're six and 12. It's a different scenario, that's true, too. I'm I, not saying that's going to happen, but uh, it's easy to win a press conference, let's win some games.
1: Well, that's that's obviously the bottom line. And Craig feels that uh, Kelly is the guy that can help him win some games, he seems confident. It's. it's a, they did, and Craig says, and we, based on what we've seen on the internet and following on social media, it appears they did a pretty thorough search. People turn them down. That happens. People turn them down for interviews. That happens too. Does it say something about the team? I think it says something about a team when you're six and twelve and miss the playoffs, and you're looking for a job. You take a long look at that team before you make a commitment, or even say, "Am I going to waste my time going there for an interview?" So, I think they had to do a. They, I'm. Craig says he did a thorough search. Craig's never lied to us before, so I think he did that. It took a while to get Kelly in there. I think they probably could have released some of the angst and some of the concerns if they'd hired him quicker. But then the concerns would have been, well, why didn't you go longer? Why didn't you expand the search? So it's really a kind of a a no-win situation for the riders in hiring this new guy, whoever they got there. It would have been nice if they got a name. But as I've said earlier, I'm all for giving the guy a chance. And maybe more of this can happen in the CFO with the salary cap that kind of reduces the salaries. I mean, you can bring more guys in at a, you can't pay them all, but maybe it will encourage more movement. But I mean,
0: last time they looked for an offensive coordinator, it was an impulsive move. They hired Jason Moss shortly after they finished uh, first in the, in the West division. Uh, and they didn't bring back Steven McAdoo. And, and that move was made very quickly after Jason Moss was let go in Edmonton and, um, that wasn't a thorough search at that time. They they targeted who they wanted, and that's who they got. If if Jeffrey was far and away their their number one choice, they could have done this six minutes after the regular season concluded, or after six minutes after they severed ties with Jason Moss. Uh, but give them this: at least they did do a thorough search this time because they didn't last time, and and uh, and uh, look how that ended up. They. Pretty much told us how they felt that worked out when they when they got rid of all but one offensive assistant coach uh, after last season. So, but that said, in the same calendar year, that being twenty twenty two, they extended the contract of Jason Moss, and then they told they told him he was uh, no longer the guy. So, uh, what does that tell you about the resolve uh, in, the, in the football operations department? at uh, at Mosaic stadium. It wasn't, if this was such, if they thought this was such a bad fit, I could understand if they, you know, they bring in Jason Moss and it was a really, it was a quick move after the 2019 season. They don't end up playing until 2021, but early in 2021, if they can in 2021, if they thought, okay, this just isn't a good fit. This isn't, this just isn't working. That a whole season of evidence to tell them that this wasn't a good fit. But they and the offense really wasn't that productive in 2021. But they extended the contract, and then after the 2022 season, they try to tell us it's it's not the right fit. But you had a whole season with Jason Moss, and then you extended the contract. So honestly, the evaluations of the coaches here really make you have to make you wonder about the direction of this organization, because they've they've extended and uh, ended the tenure. Of Jason Moss in the same calendar year of 2022.
1: That's interesting. What What do you make of three offensive coordinators under in Craig's status? Time as well, it's time is well. It's
0: I mean he he inherited the first one, yep. and the organization sort of inherited uh, Craig Dickinson and Jeremy O'Day when Chris left, Chris Jones left so abruptly in in 2019. Uh, and at the time, I I wrote after Stephen McAdoo was let go. Uh, and even when when there was a debate as to whether Stephen McAdoo should return, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. it, it I think they tried to address something at that point that really didn't need addressing. Uh, they were looking for a little something that they felt was missing, obviously, but they had just had an offensive coordinator in Stephen McAdoo, despite all the criticism he, he faced, um, and there wasn't a lot of it in 2019. Uh, they just had an offensive coordinator that worked with their first time starting quarterback in terms of the Cfl who had been named the most outstanding player in the west division and the cfl all star and had a breakout season while helping the team go thirteen and five and finish in the first place for only the second time in a span of forty three seasons but and i 'll always wonder what if the play calling hadn 't been so questionable
1: in that in, in
0: the uh, in the west Final against winnipeg that year then there, that- i don 't think there would have been there would have been any reason for them to be able to justify letting Stephen McAdoo go but I, I mean, think that there I were some agree. really there yeah. were some really mysterious calls in that West Final so there wasn't a lot of protest from the fan base when Stephen McAdoo was let go but I think the fact remains and it was written at the time that there was a clear compatibility between um, Stephen McAdoo and Cody fajardo and and they pretty much told us that that did not exist with Jason Moss and Cody Fajardo when uh, Jason Moss was let go after yeah. Cody Vajardo was benched.
1: I'm one hundred percent
0: great system they had going there.
1: I'm one hundred percent behind you that uh, I think McAdoo was the a scapegoat for whatever happened. Scapegoat, I mean that's the right word, but it was all I think it all had to do with that West final. I don't know if it was the big picture, but I think they just there was so much criticism for the riders over what happened to that West final, and we're never gonna forgive that goal that upright. That uh, for they, I don't know how they could come back with McAdoo, how they could have justified bringing him back despite all of the the reasons why you said they should have brought him back. So I guess that West yeah. final was one of those things. That, you know, and I kind of, it's funny that I always got an impression, I think Cody got along better with Jason than we think, but I, just by the end, I think it was more of a Craig Dickinson decision to get, you know, they had to, he was looking for a spark, which I still disagree with the vet day is still going to go down. It's probably one of the quotes of the year, quotes of the year, quotes of my life, my life on the beat comes back from a bye we can get some vet day it still scratched my head I mean, at over some that point one. that was at some me. point i mean honestly they tell
0: us that cody fajardo was taking a vet day and then look how that turned out and now they're and now they're talking about how they want to smooth things over with cody and that he's still part of the he they're still considering him and kelly jeffrey says something about and i'm trying to remember the precise phrasing but that they feel they can win a great cup with with cody fajardo Can we stop with this, please? And I'm not saying this disparagingly toward Cody Fajardo, um, but after, what's the saying? Talk is cheap and money buys whiskey. With two games left in the regular season last year, facing a must-win game against the Calgary Stampeders and without a widespread public clamor for the Rough Riders to make a quarterbacking change and there's been it doesn't take much to spark a quarterback controversy around here and a, a lobby for the demotion of the starting quarterback yet at that time there was virtually there wasn't even a spark to, to borrow their term of a discussion about whether Cody Fajardo should be benched yet the rough riders went over and above i think what every anybody anticipated and uh, and and in the face of logic uh, decided at that at that point that they were going to sit down Cody Fajardo in place of somebody who had never started a CFL game before uh, with a must-win home game looming. So they can say all they want right now, but you cannot put that toothpaste back in the tube. You 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 can say all the nice things you want about Cody Fajardo, but what what they did with two games left in the regular season yeah. trumps all. They cannot. Uh, I don't think they can if they were to reverse course now and bring back Cody for a, I think that would be a tough sell. And I think that would make them look e- even more. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for. It would, it would just look even sillier than it did with two weeks left in the regular season. When they, when they made that move just right out of the blue. So can we please stop with this? I, I, I think I, I have absolute endless admiration for Cody for And uh, I think he, he, he they shouldn't have handled it as they as they did, and I think there was there's every case there's a, there's a very compelling case to be made under different circumstances to bring Cody Pajardo back. You you rebuild the offensive line, you bring him some in, bring in some receivers who could actually run the forty yard dash faster than you and I can, <laughs> and maybe you tweak the scheme a little bit. That that would be that would be that would logically be a sound course of action, but. With two weeks left in the regular season, they basically said, We're done with Cody Fajardo. So, how do you put that toothpaste back in the tube right now? You can't. Please stop trying to sell us this. It's just absolute nonsense. And let's. Mer, and I'm, I well, need some blood pressure medication after that. was a
1: good one. I like that. Had, honestly, <laughs> can we just stop with this? <laughs> but why did they show the guy some respect now? And this may be. A, release him. Show him Send him out there. Send him out into the world of. Pending free agents, give him a little bit of a head start, give a chance on selling himself, chance on maybe finding a job before the free agent window opens, and show him the respect that he's kind of well. He he kind of he didn't have a season that I think is going to draw the first tier free agent status. He didn't have that season. You based on twenty nineteen, he was. But how many quarterbacks did in this league? I know it was a tough season for quarterback. Yeah.
0: So but I and, think and nobody had to play behind that offensive line except Cody Fajardo, Mason Fine, 61, and Jake he was Gould sacked.
1: Was I'm thinking off the top of my 61 of the 77 sacks were against Cody. No
0: 61. quarterback in rider history has been sacked more times in a season than Cody Fajardo. And you
1: think, okay, now there were lots, and of that animal percentage you want to say, we're on him. The Fajardian Spinorama got a little tired, and people were expecting him to go to the left on that one. So that would got a little tired, but they were on him. They're on him for not making the passes for. Not reading the play, not getting rid of the ball, happy feet and whatnot. But I'll tell you some: you and I be running for our lives behind that offensive line, just like Cody was. So I think any quarterback is so.
0: Well, I heard some NFL commentators earlier this season talk about how Joe Burrow of the Cincinnati Bengals, one-time Rough Riders negotiation lister, um, was had happy feet in the pocket and that was was looking uneasy in the pocket. There was talk earlier this season somebody named Tom Brady was uneasy in the pocket, according to some commentators. Uh, those are, you know, that's the greatest football player ever in the case of Tom Brady, and, and someone who may put up numbers that remind us of Tom Brady over the course of a career that with, the way the, with the way his career is unfolding in Joe Burrow. Uh, and each of those, court, the last two Super Bowls, they both, uh, you know, one of them has been in the last two Super Bowls, and Tom Brady's been in about 43 of them so honestly again you you fail to build a system that supports the quarterback the behavior of the quarterback in the in the pocket is symptomatic of uh, of the lack of support that's been that is there and then you blame the quarterback for for the, an outcome that was created by a system that uh, was clearly flawed again you're, you're who's who wouldn't be shell-shocked behind that offensive line i just i just feel shell-shocked listening to all this cody Fajardo stuff and all these niceties now can we just dispense with this exactly and, actions speak louder than words yeah. but we're still gonna have a podcast and speak and uh and we're still gonna talk about thousands it because... of words. and there's virtually no action because we're just sitting here
1: exactly um uh, maybe on a little bit of a happier note rob they've re-signed jamal morrow which is a pretty good note since i think we talked last it's Here's was a guy we were listening to on the Zoom call. His excitement enthusiasm for being part of rider Nation is really noticeable. Like he wants to be here. He, and plus his options are kind of uh I don't know, limited to so CFL's where he's gonna be right now. And that's where he is. But, but I mean, I'm sure there'll be lots of there have been a few teams that have been interested in Jamal moral. I think so too. Like because his versatility, and plus we saw he's a three, you know, he's he can be a returner, he can run on the ball, obviously, and he can catch the ball, and he's a heck of a blocker. So like, kind of if we can get excited in December, other than for Christmas is coming. Jamal Morrow and Frankie. Most exited. of my
0: shopping is done. I didn't get you anything.
1: Didn't you get me anything? Again, <laughs> again. Jesus I have to. Sorry, because I put all your presents Sorry. under my 36 tree. Thirty-six
0: consecutive years <laughs> of not getting you anything, and there you are with your tree. I put all I mean, your, your presents you're under much more my Christmas tree. Either. Yeah.
1: So <laughs> <laughs> As you can see, they're all there. <laughs> we talk about. Can you at least get me a discount on the tree? Yeah, all the excitement about and I, I'm kind of excited about a healthy Frankie Hickson and Jamal Morrow working together and maybe seeing what Kelly Jeffrey can do to utilize him. Maybe they can take, in strange thought, take the pressure off the receivers by having a running game and take the pressure off the quarterback by having a running game. Or committing to the
0: running game. Or I committing had to had a running game when they, when they
1: really were serious about it. I don't even know if commitments are right. We're just sort of be part, have it part of the offense after the first half because it seemed to be they would start off in the first quarter and a bit with running the games. I remember a number of games, they ran Jamal Morrow quite a bit. And then the second half, they just, there were so many times where it was working and it's like, Ooh, it's working that now. That's what, now that's what they think we're going to
0: do. We can't do this anymore. It's like, it's almost like they'd acknowledge and pay, pay homage to the run and then just dispense with it entirely. And I'm not saying that the move, you know, that, that it is a passing. There weren't cases. It wasn't a cause to question Jason Moss, but, uh, honestly, I, I think Jason Moss fell into the same category as Cody Fajardo, where there's no offensive line, there's a receiving core that, uh, for, a lot, for some reason, people think is is far better than it is, and and then plus they decide to play an injured quarterback for a significant part of the portion of the season. Uh, they did everything possible to encumber that offense, but it's Jason Moss's fault, and then you're blaming Cody Fajardo. So, again, I I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier about Kelly Jeffrey because a lot of it has to do with name recognition. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, people have said, well, Kelly Jeffrey's never been an offensive coordinator at the Canadian football league level before. That is true. Had they hired Mark Mueller, that would also have been true, but would mm-hmm. there have been a word of complaint? No, because Mark Mueller's name is much more familiar, especially around Regina, given his ties to Ron Lancaster is the fact that he. The star quarterback with the Sheldon Williams Spartans, U of R Rams, and is an amazing person. Everybody likes Mark Mueller and they should. But Mark Mueller wouldn't have been any different than Kelly Jeffrey in that he had never been an offensive coordinator at the Canadian Football League level. I think there would have been a lot more. I think just people would have, by default, given, given Mark Mueller a chance. So let's give Kelly Jeffrey a chance. But more than anything, it's un- incumbent upon the Rough Riders to give Kelly Jeffrey a chance, put some people around him. That allow an offensive coordinator to actually uh, do some things. Yeah. Uh, if they just if, if their offense is reminiscent of what it was last season, it uh, it, uh, it probably wouldn't matter if the second coming of Clark Shaughnessy is the offensive coordinator. Nothing's going to work.
1: I think if you line up Mark Mueller's resume against what uh, Kelly Jeffrey's done, I think Mark Kelly it's quite on balance towards Kelly Jeffrey because he has the experience of college. Or did you So you know, Mark's Mark, got
0: more experience in the Canadian Football
1: League. Got more experience, exactly. But, but that's,
0: Mark is Mark is 33 it, years old. Kelly Jeffrey is 50, and and yeah. and Kelly Jeffrey has been doing this since uh, 1994. Yeah. At some level, uh, Mark Mueller was born in 1989. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not. I'm, I'm not Mark Mueller would have been a wonderful hire. Oh, but let's not let's not disqualify in terms of the discussion. Kelly Jeffrey simply because he hasn't been an offensive coordinator before. Because look at all the things the man has done in football. Uh, if they'd hired Mark Mueller, he would have been a wonderful hire. But oh. I'm not, uh, I think you can look at Mark Mueller's resume and say, well, based upon, uh, if, if, we're, if we're saying that that is, is, uh, is to him to be a very successful offensive coordinator, and I have no doubt that he will be, I don't think you can say, well, Kelly Jeffrey won't be, simply because he doesn't have the same experience in the Canadian Football League. Because look at the wealth of football experience. And uh, that's uh, I, that is to me is is impressive. But I think if you listen to what Kelly Jeffrey had to say, there's so much substance behind his words, and there's so many things I think people wanted to hear.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, now let's see how it plays out uh, beginning June 11th.
1: Rob, do you think they can go? And this is kind of with, with an inexperienced quarterback as their starter. And I'm not I'm not saying Mason Fine and uh, Jake DelGallo are in that right. But can they go find someone in the list and say we're going to ride this? Huh? Or, you know, by Lewis? Can they, can they go with a guy who doesn't have any experience and maybe off their necklace or they, who's been, you know, because they're just names and they, they released 10, 10 necklace guys. And I have to admit, I've forgotten the names of the quarterbacks already. So How could you I,
0: forget Will Rogers?
1: Yeah, he's a good one. So could they could they maybe say, we're going to go with an inexperienced guy and kind of build a quarterback and get this guy from here? Or do you think? <laughs> oh, you know, if, 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 if they had, um, you're right
0: if they had more than one year left in their contracts it could absolutely do that mm-hmm. but they've got to win next next year and uh, i don't think they can they can uh, in if you're looking at it from a from a self-preservation standpoint if you're looking from the standpoint too that after a dreadful season last year they've got to restore the faith of rough rider fans i'm not sure that they can that it's time for an apprentice quarterback if, mm-hmm. if the contract if their contractual uh, structure was different and there were two or three years left on the contracts of Craig Dickinson, Jeremy O'Day, Kelly Jeffrey. Uh, yeah, but there's the imperative of winning and there's a, the imperative of atoning for 2022. So, and Craig Dickinson has you know, said that they're, they plan to bring in a veteran. There may be several veterans. Yeah. So uh, I think that would preclude them uh, from handing the keys to, to Mason Fine, Jake Dolegala, the, uh, or whoever the case may be, if if there had been more productivity after the uh, if if Mason Fine had in fact injected the the uh, spark that they were craving into the offense, absolutely. But Mason Fine fell victim to the same thing that Cody Fajardo fell victim: uh, um, ineptitude everywhere around him. So. Wasn't, it wasn't that situation wasn't fair to Mason Fine, but it wasn't fair to Cody Fajardo either.
1: You know, I'm going to take a bit of a tangent. I was thinking, which is scary. Oh no! And I asked Craig this do we question: breaking, Do
0: you have a breaking news tag we can apply to that?
1: <laughs> yes. W- was there more pressure on last year on the riders to get to the home team Grey Cup, or is there more pressure on this year when they have to rebound from a season? Now, that's a really good question. Now, Craig didn't. Craig kind of says he's just calling it. I'm going to steal that, that f-
0: for a column and give you no credit for it.
1: <laughs> he gave uh, me a present. Uh, Craig says it was more of a fresh start. You know, it's not, you it didn't really kind of answer and In my mind, I'm thinking, I think there's way more pressure on them this year in 2023. Like they, they get to the great, they, their goal to get to the great cup is the goal every year is to get to the great cup. So just because it's in Regina, doesn't necessarily make it different. It just adds a little more focus on that this year, Craig and Jeremy are playing. I, I really think it's for their jobs. I really do. I think they've got to show some sort of improvement on this team or they're that one-year contract is going to come back to bite them. So I think and basically
0: there's... they've got about six or seven games. If they don't get yeah. off to a good start, kaboom. Yeah.
1: yeah so they, uh, So
0: the whole, and uh, Kyle Walters contract in Winnipeg is to expire after the 2023 season. And they didn't
1: renew that, which is a real head scratch. So for...
0: they brought back uh, Michael O'Shea as a head coach, but they've, uh, Wade Miller danced all around the, the, uh, yeah. the uh, Kyle Walters question. So, let me, I, I'm not sure if I'm the first to float this, but if this doesn't, uh, if this goes off the rails again. The timing is very advantageous for the Rough Riders and for Kyle Walters.
1: But I also think they have a, a schedule that might be advantageous to them too. I, I, you, the schedule came out yesterday, and know that kind of leads us into that. Which you and I go back to the. I remember the ago. schedule come out in March. And,
0: yeah, and absolutely. I still
1: tell this story. I remember my oldest Games daughter. Games tomorrow night. Can you be here? Yeah. <laughs> My oldest daughter was wanted, was getting married that summer. Once I can't remember the year because it's I don't remember those things anyway.
0: Oh, she better not watch this podcast. Know, she, oh my goodness! <laughs> so anyway, she wants you she are there's nothing. There's not, not going to be any. Pre, <laughs> there's going to be one fewer present than you <laughs> yes, thought yes. under your mini tree after you could not remember Her that date of, vital detail. I know.
1: Anyway, anyway, I'm anyway to create
0: some McCormick family discord here.
1: Anyway, she wanted Sorry. to get because you have to. <laughs> and when I learned, and I maybe things have changed a little bit in the ten years since we've been married or that plus, but. You have to book halls. So to book halls in Saskatchewan, somewhere you have to do it early before COVID hit. and There was always this. So she wanted to book. So she took a chance in February and booked her hall in Pence. While the schedule still hasn't been out for six weeks, I get asked what the schedule regularly, when's the schedule coming out? Finally comes out in March. And all of Megan could do, there's a rider game that day, an Edmonton game. I remember that. And so she, I missed a game. you gonna miss a game for a wedding, obviously. But now December comes out. People can actually plan their lives. They can look at this schedule and go, yeah. yeah, and say, oh, yeah, okay, now this is when the Riders play the games and when they're going to go and this is the bye weeks and this is that stuff. So can we give kudos to – I think it's the second or maybe the third year.
0: I they've can't... moved it up for a number of years now, but the last two years they've really put that on fast forward. That's and it's, been tremendous.
1: So that's that's kudos to the league and to the teams because it's – I bet it's not easy doing a schedule. Like you, even if you throw Toronto in there, and you have you have other stadium issues. You have travel. You have expenses, and it takes I think to get out the schedule. And unlike the All Star, Miss, they got it right on the first try, so that's a good thing that they have. <laughs> and so it's so I think it's good to schedule. And you know some the schedule is a schedule. You got to play. They got to they got to schedule games. I I kind of like they've gone a little bit towards the NFL way of having consistent start times. For many years, we said on any given Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the CFL would play. Now they've kind of just gone, they've gone a little more consistent with their schedules, with their times. And, uh, you know, there's a couple of Sunday games in there that people are kind of grumbling about, but they're in the summer. So the kids are off. If you want to go there a Sunday game at five o'clock, you have the next day off to recover. You can book your holidays on that. Uh, They don't have and I'm judging off the top of my head, four or five games in the first, the kickoff this season were home games, which I think were a killer in gaining momentum and also had something to do with the smaller crowds in the part of the summer that it's just, it was too much to ask people to go to four home games in five weeks. And I think they needed that. They needed to get rid of that. They got rid of the back-to-backs except for the one traditional one against Winnipeg, which will always happen. And, uh, you know, I'm, Kind of. I was there in 08 when they had the uh, Saturday playoff games. I wasn't a big fan of it. I kind of liked Sundays. But, you know, they've, they've got to get away from the competition of the NFL. And also, if people don't realize they have to expand the time that they can prepare for a great cup. Winning the, your semi-final your final on a Sunday and having to be in the host city on Tuesday... Without you no know, really being able to plan, but you do. Stuff, really... Everybody
0: wants tickets, and yeah. you can't make so you can't make plans until you know if you're in the great cup or not. So now
1: you give them an extra day, and that that, and that uh, I wish yeah. I could take credit for that. That was Ryan Dinwiddie who pointed that out. That you get, the extra day is huge. You get to go home. You get to celebrate a little bit. Not quite got crazy like the baseball team celebrate whenever time they get to a different level. Would you celebrate? Yay, we're Se- going to the
0: wild card. Exactly. <laughs> Yay.
1: Pop the cork. So Sunday, they get the Sunday to sort of, you know, relax, pack and do stuff. Monday, they're kind of you no, know, it's a day one what not day one, but they get and come on the Tuesday and it's more of a, a normal week, which I think, you know, may lead to better games or not, but it makes, makes life easier for the teams and whatnot. So I kind of like that and leave the great cup on Sunday. You can't change the great cup from Sunday. If I, that happens, I don't know. It may happen because they never listen to me anyway. I,
0: what I, does what does this do to Canadian university football, though? Does that overshadow some Canadian university playoff games? Is yeah, that, I think Is that is this the, scheduling arrangement compatible uh, with uh, what's a, well, what is a showcase time for supposedly their feeder system?
1: Well, I I, I kind of wonder why the CFL isn't isn't the last game of the football season. You know why the U Sports teams aren't their schedule isn't bumped up to be the to be, get the Great Cup. Because it's interesting to have the venue cups yeah, after they, the
0: youth Sports teams unavoidably have a late start.
1: Yeah, because of school and stuff uh, like that. Yeah, so th- that's that that's really a good point. But I think this, into a corner. I think the CFL is more focused on what the NFL monster does to it on Sundays, and they're trying to get away from that, except in the summer. But in the summer, there's no NFL games on this Sunday. so I and think they've it's... got
0: you know they've got three Sunday games this year. Yeah. Sunday home games, a third of which is the Labor Day game. So yeah. uh, I'm not opposed to a couple of Sunday games and during uh, during the summer, just uh i i I, i'm a connoisseur of football that makes me sound too refined i love football um i don't want to have to choose i want to watch i want to od on the cfl and i want to od on the nfl and i generally haven't liked situations where i'm forced to choose because i just want to i love them both i want to enjoy them both exactly so uh this um, weekend
1: is a pig out is an absolute like two i think three games on saturday yeah, it's uh, and then it's, I don't <laughs> anticipate getting a ton of exercise this week,
0: and but uh, and then the, the Pats are at home to Saskatoon on Saturday too at 7 p.m. So um, uh, yeah, I just I the one thing that bugs me with the schedule or schedule um, is that every team doesn't play in every uh, every stadium. Exactly. Uh, I don't know why in a nine-team league you can't see every team. Uh, uh, and this was pointed out on, on the sports cage the other day. I don't take credit for this, but suppose that Bo Levi Mitchell signs with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Where doesn't Hamilton play this year? Calgary.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, That's, come on. Yeah, <laughs> Seriously.
1: And and the, the how they make up the schedule is almost a little bit it's secretive, and I don't think they. I've so I've asked the league sometimes. You know, talk to the schedule maker. And they say why, and I go well because people are curious about. because people might be interested in it because <laughs> I'm not asking because I care. I, I'm, I'm going to be there anyway, but anyway, so that's, that's a good point. Also, and the riders are they only play Hamilton and Montreal once. And I think, I think they're both here, right? They can't remember what Montreal. And, and, and then you know, they want to foster the divisional
0: uh, rivalries. And I, you know, I think there's a better, there's a decent case for that. Uh, and, and, and this is, I think there's going to be more clamor to buy tickets for a, to see Calgary than, the, than there is to, to see Ottawa, for example. But once you do that, then I think you're you're creating an overkill situation in the East where teams are playing each other four times uh, and sometimes five if you factor in the preseason. And it, you just get sick of that same matchup.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, I mean, Toronto-Hamilton. How many times do we see Toronto-Hamilton in, in a row? Well, I think they, they're they going to play, play f- like 15 weeks in a row last year.
1: Toronto and Hamilton four for, times vi- for, is- for
0: variety, Hamilton will uh, now visit Toronto. Uh, and it just honestly, I think it you're almost overdoing it. And uh, uh, I don't think you want a situation like it in the NHL where I don't think they play up the Battle of Alberta enough. Mm-hmm. But I think you're it's just after a while, I think some of the intrigue disappears when it's just okay, it's Hamilton, Toronto again this week. Like mm-hmm. you're oh, I think you're over.
1: I think you're going to that well a few few too many times. You can criticize a lot of the schedule. The fact that the Argos have a bye week in the first week of the season is head-scratching and, I think, a bit of a travesty. You're defending Great Cup champions. Thrilling game. Relive the Great Cup festival. Pound it out. Make this the, the, your, your curtain raiser, the big moment, and they have a bye week in the first week. Now, bye weeks are interesting. you got to fit them in. The Riders are going to have a bye week on the last week of the season which I think they've done before because I seem to remember, and it might be recently, Rob, that they had a bye week at the end of the season or close to it, or maybe they just. So I just think the league kind of dropped the ball literally on that one with the Argos not opening. But there may be a reason. There may be BMO's got a soccer game or something there that, you know. They don't get a lot of
0: dates there. Um, hmm. And I I know the failing because once upon a a time, I didn't get a lot of dates either. but. to me, isn't it automatic that your your season opener, not only for the Argonauts but for the entire league, is Toronto Argonauts versus Winnipeg Blue Bombers? Great Cup rematch after this game goes down to the down to the wire. Uh, yet I'm just looking at the the schedule now; those teams don't play each other until September 29th, Toronto at Winnipeg. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, how do you and if I'm if, if I'm misreading this, I apologize. But it looks to me like Toronto and Winnipeg only play each other once this year, so you don't have that. What would what would have been a really compelling matchup, and you know, in, in a tough market, what is marketing gold there? Or what has the most potential? It's Winnipeg going to Toronto with the with the Argos as the defending Grey Cup champions, week one of the regular season, yeah. but they don't play each other unless again, unless I'm misreading the schedule until uh until late september and that game isn't even in toronto and by the by that time shouldn't that just be the most
1: basic thing to do toronto versus you start there and you work back yeah and (laughs) i mean and by the time september 29th rolls around it's pretty hard to drag out the defending great cup champion low our angle again though you will because we're we're not ones above to pound yeah but none of that none of that's you
0: know all recent events will have will have uh, over overshadowed that how is that not the first game of the year I just don't. I mean, understand. Winnipeg's Winnipeg uh, loses out on a bid for the third consecutive Grey Cup by one point, point. and so they're, you know, they're anxious to they they just want to <laughs> exact revenge. And what happens? They play each other once, and it's in late September.
1: There's a, a little I mean, head this, scratcher. It's just basic. That's a yeah. layup. There's another little head scratcher. here. They say on July 29th, the Argos game will be at a neutral site. I'm guessing that's another touchdown, Atlantic. So we better put that in my travel schedule, Rob, because I have—I think I left some lobster on the table that needs to be consumed that in Halifax. But I think that might be it. It's got to be, doesn't it? I don't think they could oh, be. Were
0: not they talking about a game in Mexico or something? Like,
1: once <laughs> I can go. I'm going there in, in, the, in February, but that's okay. I, I can do two trips. But Mexico in the summer—I don't know if I want to do. But I still we'll, we'll go, Rob. Don't worry about it. I'll suck it up and go to Mexico. That'd be interesting to be that. But uh, one of the things they stress in the schedule, too, is they want to get the divisional matchups going yet. And I think the way the schedule starts, I'm looking at they have four divisional games to kick things off.
0: You know, and, oh. and that's and, you know, the thing is one of the good things about this. I mean, last year it was the Riders are four and one, but they still haven't really played anybody. Exactly. And, and they, the, only game, the only game that they played in the, within the division over those first five that's games was against the soup can from Edmonton. Yeah. So you're going to get some meatier matchups early in the year. Um, remember that 4-1
1: start, Rob? Remember those good old days? Remember that 4-1 and one start, those good old days? <laughs> <laughs> Who knew and, that would uh, be the high point of the season back then? <laughs>
0: no. Yes. You know, it, uh, it, I sorry. remember that season all too, all too vividly. Um, one thing I would like to point out, and I think uh, I wish I'd mentioned this earlier. Uh, on Monday, uh, John Gregory passed away. Yes. Uh, John Greger was the head coach of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders uh, beginning in late December of 1986 and carrying through uh, late August of, of 1991. Um, and he coached the Rough Riders to a, a victory in the greatest great cup game I've ever seen. 1989, the year before he was named the CFL's coach of the year after uh, the Rough Riders went, eight, went in 11 and seven after missing the playoffs for 11 years in a row. Uh, a, a tremendous guy, tremendous coach, uh, all of his former players are really, uh, really sad. uh, And uh, at the same time, I think there's a lot of really fond memories that have been uh, reignited and a lot of discussion along those lines. that has been reignited uh, with the news of John Gregory's passing. Uh, Do you have any sentiments about uh, uh, John? You dealt with him a little bit on, on the rider beat uh, Mm -hmm. when you were a bit of an interloper.
1: I was kind of like younger
0: version of yourself.
1: I used to say I was on the Z team when I got to rider practice. It was because everyone was needed a day off. and I, We promoted I had, you to Q. <laughs> and I remember, and I told you this story. I was covering a practice one day, and I can't remember which season it was. And the media person at the time said, John Gregory wants to talk to you in the coach's room. And I'm going, why does he want to talk to me? I think I wrote a story three months ago. So I go in there, and then he proceeds to lambaste me about whatever Nick Meliokas, our esteemed columnist at the time, was writing. And just this well, always make things miserable for people, don't they? Oh, and I'm standing there. Terrible, terrible beings. Because imagine that. And even though I'm kind of old, and probably was the same age as John at the time, a quote that's intimidating. The coach calls you in to talk in the coach's room. You're going, "Oh, what have I done?" And it was to to slam to blast Nick about some murder columns and stuff. And it, I think that was probably the season he was fired in. And I'm saying, and when, as soon as I realized it was all about Nick, I kind of relaxed and let him go on. But that's when I saw the fiery side of John. I think we should. So, bring... so did
0: Nick John. John uh, once threw, threw chalk at him. Yes, that's right. Early, one of his first press conferences, he got mad at something Nick had asked, and the chalk went flying. And and uh,
1: we got to bring was... back those knit rider sweaters. That one he's wearing in that '89 <laughs> photo is just a classic. And those and were think... popular. A lot of people bought those at the I time. and I think they look kind of. Accent accentuate your bellies a little bit, I think, with that band across there and stuff. But that that's a classic photo of him holding, reaching up there, wearing that classic sweater and whatnot. And I and I, I know, we, and I I've read all the comments on the players and the 89ers And I remember back then too, looking in their lockers. Would not you're not supposed to do that? I didn't realize at the time. And seeing this eighty nine moment uh, motivational stuff and asking about it and getting quite a bit of crap from the players that. This was a secretly thing, but give John credit for being ahead of his time with the psychologist, getting most of the team to buy. There's some guys that didn't buy into that into the '89ers and the rings on the tape rings were on the. There are some people fingers. to work
0: for, and as Jeff Fairholm said the other day uh, at CK, one person I really worked for was John Gregory. Yeah, because it calmed him down, and uh, and uh, that was a real uh, key component of that. And John Gregory, if you look at what they did during the '89 season. And there's actually a few parallels to, to, to in terms of things that happened this past year. And I think it's almost instructive to look at how John Gregory handled some things compared to uh, the way things unfolded this year. I mean, they, they, their season hit rock bottom. Uh, the Rough Riders, I think, well, there were several, uh, several valleys. But yeah. you talk about the Garrett Marino situation. They had a situation in '89 where uh, there was a dispute between the organization and James Curry. James Curry was a disgruntled player. It was late in the year and he was he had 16 sacks at the time and but they decided that uh, James Curry was not going to uh, be part of their team moving forward. They went into the playoffs without him even though he was having a tremendous year and I think that was a situation where they they put the team ahead of the individual. Uh, with the way the Garrett Marino situation was handling handled earlier this year, the team was put, a, the individual was put ahead of the team. Uh, they, they were able to regroup after that devastating loss to the BC Lions where Glenn Suter hit David Williams early, yeah. was called for pass interference. Early, really early. And the Lions ended up winning miraculously on the final day of September in 1989. Uh, they were able to rally after some devastating losses, whereas this team, once it, it, once it accounted some adversity, it just crumbled. In 89, they were able to overcome injuries. They had Jeff Treflin, who I think was like five foot eight, five foot nine, 170 pounds. They had him playing linebacker at one point. Uh, their receiving core was so decimated that Jeff Bentram, a backup quarterback, was starting at slot back and was even returning kickoffs. Uh, Rob Bresciani, a reserve receiver, one memorable day in, in Calgary, had five receptions for almost 200 yards. James Ellingson made huge plays uh, when, when Ray Algard was hurt when, when Jeff Fairholm was hurt uh they were able to overcome a spate of injuries and uh and um, this this rough rider team just kept using them as a crutch uh the Corbin now their their talent base was considerably better too uh, but they made the right call at the right time with the quarterbacking when Tom Burgess had a hot start that year cooled off and uh, John Gregory made a switch to Kent Austin during a game in Toronto and Kent got on a roll and basically kept going uh but when, uh, when Tom Burgess was needed late in the, West, or in, the, in the West Final after Ken Austin was hurt in the second quarter, Burgess came off the bench and, and threw a couple of touchdown passes. So going into the Grey Cup week, there was a lot of debate. Ken Austin or Tom Burgess? Now, we'll never know how Tom Burgess would have done against uh, Hamilton in the Grey Cup. He'd thrown five touchdown passes in, against them in a game earlier that year. But the wisdom of, of John Gregory was validated when Ken Austin uh, threw for 474 yards and three touchdowns. And then the next year Tom Burgess won a great cup in in, in Winnipeg. Yeah. So uh but uh, there were a lot of difficult situations that year that uh, John Gregory faced. It wasn't a joy ride by any stretch of the imagination. It was a nine and nine team that faced a lot of adversity. And John Gregory found ways for them to dig themselves out of holes time and time again. Can Not imagine? by himself, but but uh as the as the leader of the on field operation, John Gregory came through time and again for the nine
1: team. Can you imagine, like, and Suda did get skewered pretty badly for what happened against the BC Lions. Now it'd be multiplied by that. But I still remember Glenn telling, John telling him to own it. You know, go out there, deal with the media, deal with all the criticism, deal with everything that brought on there. And it, I like to think it changed uh, Glenn Suda's career. It led him on another path, and it also showed how John was sensitive to what the players' feelings were like, and not just, you know, as another coach said, "What an idiot! Why, why did he do that? He's a better player than that." But and it was all about accountability,
0: which yeah. is something that was also lacking from the yeah. from the two two thousand Rough Riders. There and was leaders Glenn in Suter that Glenn Suter went on CKRM's open line show on the Monday. On the that game was played on a Saturday. Glenn Suter went on, I think, what was called then Sports Line on CKM and and took calls. Yeah and uh just dealt with it head on and you know what then it just wasn't it just wasn't an issue because they dealt with it right away yeah the way the the emphatic manner in which the rough riders under alford and, and john gregory dealt with that situation uh glenn, glenn Suter went from being someone that the fans were just piling on toward to i think by the end of that call in phone in show on monday being a sympathetic character mm-hmm. and that's because he dealt with it head on not only after the game, when he sat there and took every question from every question. anybody who asked, but then going on, 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 and then and it was part of John Gregory's suggestion to go on the radio show on on Monday and deal with it. Then, and they just, it, it just wasn't an issue after that. Now, how often did the 2022 Rough Riders allow things to fester? Yeah. Under John Gregory and Al Ford, the the Rough Riders in '89, when they had adversity, dealt with it emphatically and quickly, and it was over with. Great And, oh, and then at the end of the year. Uh, who played the game of his life in the West final against Edmonton, Glenn Suter had an interception and blitz Tracy ham uh, all day. And then in the gray cup, who had the Rough Riders only interception Glenn Suter who pinned the ball for the game winning field goal, Glenn Suter, who was the last person to touch the ball in that gray cup game after the, after the tiger cats fielded a kickoff and Steve Jackson punted it back. Uh, Glenn Suter, as he caught the ball and ran out of bounds, out of bounds with his arms in the air. So how perfect was that? But a lot of that's a testament to John Gregory, and the Rough Riders organization, and how well they handled a situation that could have been so destructive. Because that was a loss. Suddenly they're four and five
1: yeah.
0: after a four and one start. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go.
1: Anyway, Rob, I think and well, this
0: John Gregory a tremendous man? Someone who's involved in football for nearly seventy years, in... and uh, I, I every I didn't have a lot of dealings with him when he was a coach in Saskatchewan. I did a few more times. were uh, subsequent to that. I wrote a book about the '89 team. and He was very gracious with his time, and everybody uh, uh, that I spoke to. Uh, you're not going to have. You're not going to be universally beloved as a head coach, but he is as beloved as a head coach can be, and uh, and uh, just a tremendous man. And uh, hard to believe it. Uh, uh, you know, you just you don't. You remember, I remember John Gregory being hired. It's hard to believe we're sitting here now talking about uh, mm-hmm. about uh, his passing. Time goes far too quickly. Exactly. Uh, but man, did he leave a legacy? Not only with the Rough Riders, but south of the border, Here's Iowa arena Barnstormers, football, arena football, uh, and Kurt Warner was his quarterback in arena football.
1: Yeah, that's quite a legacy. Well, Rob, I have to go do some errands. You have life to do.
0: If yeah, life. I I have to. Uh, Finished my four-part series on Connor Bedard, which it's is going to be running in the, in the People, leader post. Uh, starts next week,
1: I think it's. I got it, starts next week. Um, Tuesday,
0: Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, and, must and, read uh,
1: stuff. Uh, you know, read it online. Buy a paper because you may want to save these ones. Because I think, uh, I think he's going to have a pretty good career, and that might be a nice little uh, uh, item to save and keep in your keep on your desk when you watch it. Uh, when Connor Bedard was was with the Regina Pats and was this incredible kid. I'm I'm gonna to toot your horn a little bit. I love all the all the different people and all the different voices you have talking about it. And and Connor Bedard, what a what a what an incredible young man. It'll be too sad once he gets in the NFL NHL and then he gets out up being the, the cooker cutty quotes that seem to come out of players once they reach that level. But what a what a remarkable young man and uh, looking forward to him coming back to play for the Pats after the World Juniors, which will probably be early January He might be
0: back for the for the January sixth game against seattle but more likely for the january 8th home game
1: the world and, juniors
0: concludes january 5th
1: i so, just got, uh, i'm going to throw this at you Dural like you got to talk extensively with connor like how, how did that go what was your feeling when you were talking because it's such a wide variety of topics that you're doing with him
0: we actually spoke twice either i talked to him at the start and then uh, uh talked to a lot of other people who were pretty instrumental in his life and his hockey career and then had some more questions i wanted to ask so i kept pestering him uh uh, tremendous. I, I got, I've gotten to know his parents, uh, Tom and Melanie, uh, pretty well throughout this process. And, and you can understand why Connor Bedard is a, such a tremendous young man. When you look at the, the family background, not only, uh, Tom and Melanie, but his sister, Maddie. And, uh, you talk about the, you know, we've talked a lot about foundation in this, in this, uh, podcast. Well, the, the foundation that was established for Connor Bedard was so conducive to the success that, uh, he's had. And, and uh, yeah he was he had some he had some he was born with a lot of ability a lot of talent but it's what he did with that and the diligence with uh, which he uh, uh, has pursued a hockey career that allowed him to go from being a good hockey player to someone who's already talked about as the next Connor Connor mcdavid but you can you can really understand why once you dig into this story and i hope that the series on him uh gives people a little bit bit better understanding as to how someone uh becomes this tremendous not only as a hockey player but as a young man
1: one of the comments that really resonated with me and i i wish i could remember which scout said it that he didn't need to talk to the kid because he knew the kid's parents
0: yeah but dan dan maher he's the uh what a what a, the director what a of statement NHL Central scouting <laughs> yeah he's yeah he says i haven't met the kids but you know i i've, I've said I've, I've met the parents but i've met the kids so he just pretty much tells you how well he was raised and uh yeah, it was a fun one to do, and I hope people, uh, I hope people enjoy it when it uh, comes out next week. Uh, my project for the rest of this day is to finish the Connor Bedard series, just with a couple of commas that I need to move around. So
1: right. there,
0: we even got some junior. Speaking of commas, I
1: slam a it's period fun. on the end of this one. <laughs> Very,
0: that's that's the best. Uh, that's the best <laughs> transition we've had all year. <laughs> if you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review and a five star rating, six or seven if you want. It helps us grow the podcast. You can, help, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, you can find uh, me on Twitter at, at Rob Vanstone. Murray's at LP, And uh, we will uh, do another podcast. During the off-season, we don't really have a set schedule, set, set schedule or schedule. Uh, we, do it, we do these things as events dictate. So next time there's big news in Ryderville, we will reconvene. Uh, with our producer Creed and Martel and do a podcast in the event that nothing big happens before December 25th I'd like to uh, take this opportunity to thank everybody for uh, spending time with us this year whether you're reading us or watching us or listening to us and I wish everybody the all the best over Christmas and a happy new year and that includes uh, uh, you and your little dreamer uh, (laughs) I, I hope you and your your family have a great Christmas
1: I'm looking forward to having many presents under my little tree and sort of gathering the whole family around it and all celebrating my little Christmas tree. Merry Christmas you. to you, Rob. Merry Christmas to all our readers and listeners. And uh, let's do this all again in 2023. It's going to be a fascinating off season. That's for sure. It is a fascinating off
0: season. I remember when it was like, it turned 1970. It's like, wow, how is it 1970 already? <laughs> no, it's 2023. Exactly. uh for Murray McCormick and uh, who's older than me I'm Rob Vanstone and we will do this again soon probably in 2023